So I think we got a, uh, I, think, I think today's going to be um, a good message. I believe it's going to be a God message, just like every week. I got asked by a uh, pastor friend of mine. He asked me on Wednesday, about the time that snow was starting to move in and whatnot. He asked me, he's like, how are you? I thought about that for a second, and then another second, Next thing I know, several seconds had passed and minutes had passed and I still hadn't responded because I had been so busy, so overwhelmed with everything that I haven't had time to actually think and process, how am I? Like, I just haven't slowed down, haven't taken a beat until Thursday when all of a sudden, you know, we get like nine inches of snow and it kind of forced me to stay inside and not go anywhere and not do anything and just kind of reflect. And so I thought about, how am I? Like, I had even responded to him Wednesday night. I was like, as far as how am I, I haven't taken a beat, haven't taken a moment to even really think about it. So I'm just plugging away one foot after the other and just trusting God the whole path. I mean, that's the best that I can do. But I hadn't really thought about it. And then on Thursday, uh, yeah, I realized I'm overwhelmed. Like just overwhelmed. I think Jen and I had figured it out and in the span of eight days we had made, or I had at least made 17 trips uh, back and forth to Des Moines. So somehow more than two a day, <laughs> it was just it was crazy, just back and forth and back and forth, making sure that I'm able to go up there, that I'm taking whoever wants to go with me, but then when others are working certain schedules that they're able to go up. And I'm also trying to you know, drive this little bus and at the same time, trying to get that digital ministry that God has called me to back up and going because that bus driver, transportation director thing, you know, kind of uh, delayed a lot of that. So there's a lot of that groundwork that's needing to be laid again. And I look at what I've uploaded and it's been nothing for weeks after I said, hey, you'll see more of me really soon. And then it was like, well, apparently not. So overwhelmed. Overwhelmed is how I've been. Um, I don't think any of you have ever felt overwhelmed in your life though, right? Like this is one of those messages that you can't relate to. Uh, you've never felt that moment where it's like, I just don't have enough time. Like there's not enough time to get everything done, you know, where you're always in a rush. You're trying to hurry up, rush out of the house, and uh, you figure, wait, I've got kids, so I need to like shove something in their mouth really quick. And you like grab a little boomerang Pop-Tart and fling it at them and here, chew this on the way out the door and jump in the car and then you're hustling and you got kids that have to go to activities and you got to drop one person off to work and another one here and you got bills to pay and all this time and it's just like, I just don't have enough time. Don't have enough time. Don't even have enough time for like the relationships on top of that because then you get back home from work and everything and it's like, well, I got a wife and a kids and I've actually got to be present. I've got to make sure that I'm a husband and I'm a father and they don't just see me as another like potato sitting on the couch. Like I have to be present. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're just overwhelmed in your marriage. Overwhelmed in the marriage. Like you, you'll hear some couples that they talk about how they have the greatest relationship in the world where it's just all roses, everything is wonderful. They're just so truly, madly, and deeply in love. And you're sitting there and thinking, I mean, yeah, that would be great, but I could just deal with a little civility right now. Like, could we go 24 hours without arguing and fighting? 
And there's these moments of being overwhelmed. Sometimes that we're just overwhelmed in our finances because as we're looking at that bank account, we realize that there's more month at the end of the money. It's like, well, what are we going to do? Payday is not here yet. Uh, and then sometimes you're just overwhelmed because of being on social media and the comparison trap kind of falls in. You know, you've got that friend that you went to high school with and they posted their Instagram photo and you're looking at the meal that they just made that is all like gluten-free and low-carb and super healthy and it's so delicious and it's like it came out of the pages of a magazine all the while that you are figuring out that yes, it is truly possible to live off of a cup of ramen for two weeks. And it's like, if I could just get something else, if there was just something else that I could get, sometimes we do feel overwhelmed. And what I want us to look at today is that being overwhelmed is not something that is foreign to God. There's actually a great story that I want us to see today about 10 men that were completely overwhelmed and that we might be able to relate to. And so if you've got your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 17 because there's a story that I want you to see. And we're going to spend some time looking at this because it's just a word here or a word there that will give you some insight, hopefully, in how to deal with being overwhelmed. So Luke chapter 17 is where we're going. And we're going to start off with verse 11. Luke 17, 11 says, and I'm reading out of the New King James here. Now, as it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then, as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus... Master, have mercy on us. You didn't think we were going to start off a message by looking at lepers who have been overwhelmed. But I'm telling you that these lepers completely overwhelmed. Sometimes like we don't even understand leprosy because even like the leprosy that may be around today or that even modern medicine would look at is not even near what they had there. We've got medicine there's actually cures for it. There were no cures back then. And back then, you would have been infected sometimes five to ten years before any symptoms ever started to appear. So once the symptoms started to appear, there are laws in the Bible of how to deal with leprosy. And one of the first things is throw them out, get rid of them. They cannot be anywhere near because they are unclean. When these, this infection would start to show up, you would start to lose feelings in your extremities. We start to look at that at like gangrene today where all of a sudden the limbs, they start to turn discolored and they begin to die and then decompose, even rotting and smelling and falling off and you just lose them. That was them. Five to 10 years, symptoms start showing up and they have to live with this leprosy. They have to live with, with this disease that has taken over their body, starting in the fingers, the fingernails, your ears, your nose, your eyelids, all of these different extremities of your body that slowly are starting to die off. The pain in that. But it wasn't just that type of a pain. They weren't just overwhelmed physically. They were overwhelmed relationally. They had been separated from their loved ones. They are cast out from society. 
couldn't see your wife, couldn't give her a kiss anymore. You can't hug and hold your children anymore. You've been completely cut off from them. They're overwhelmed financially because they can't work. They're left to just beg, beg for anybody to try to help them out. They're overwhelmed spiritually. They couldn't go to church. They couldn't gather with their community of believers. They couldn't be restored in the faith by us, their brothers and sisters. They couldn't do that. They were completely cut off. And yet for these 10 men who had so much going wrong, there was one thing that was going right. They were in the right place. They were in the right place. When we are feeling overwhelmed, our response, the only response that we have with being overwhelmed is the choices that we make. And we need to do like these men did, and we need to choose to be in the right place. They chose to be in the right place to where Jesus is passing by. Little did they know, little did they know what was about to transpire, but they found themselves in the right place. We have to choose to be in the right place when we are overwhelmed because it is impossible to live right when you're in the wrong place. You can't live a right life in a wrong place. It does not happen. It cannot happen. As a pastor, I get often confronted with people and they've got all sorts of problems. Whether they're Christians, whether they're not Christians, whether they believe, whether they don't believe, whether they're serving God, whether they're not, lots of problems. If you live this life, there are going to be problems. There are going to be a lot of problems. If you didn't realize that, just read what Jesus said. He's like, guess what? You're going to have problems in this life. It's just a fact of life. It's going to happen. And oftentimes when people have all these problems, one of my first questions to them is, how often are you attending church? Like, how often are you actually going to church and attending church? Because I'm telling you right now, being in the house of God is the right place. That is where you're at. But it's not just about being in God or being in church. It's about participating in church participating in church. If you've ever had any type of an activity, sport that you ever played, you've got to be a participant. You've got to be involved. And that means it's not passive and it's not sitting back. It is active. It is an active pursuit. You've got to do that to be in the right place. And, and some people will sit there and be like, well, of, of course you've got to be in the right place. Of course I've got to go to church. I know that. But they never plan to be in church. They're never prepared to be in church. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be focused. You can't be distracted and overwhelmed where all of a sudden church is an afterthought. Many people think that they're going to end their week going to church. You ought to be believing that you're starting your week going to church. Amen. There's a reason that your calendars show Sunday is the first day of the week you got to begin your week here. You've got to be prepared and focused, ready. Make a plan to be there. If you don't, you're scrambling. And oftentimes I see this, they never go or they rarely go because they're not prepared and they're not planning for it. Several weeks back, I wound up trying to pick up a little extra cash, driving in a bus route in the middle of the day. We were heading up to Wells Fargo Arena. We were going up to see the uh, Iowa Wolves basketball, watch them play. 
And as we're driving up, of course, I've got two other drivers. They don't go and they don't drive in Des Moines that often. Josh, you're driving, you're leading. Okay, so I'm leading. And they're asking, do you know where you're going? Yeah, I know where I'm going. Okay, well, we got three buses going down 235. We don't want to get lost because you know where we're going. I'm like, it's Wells Fargo Arena. Just drive and you'll see the big dome-shaped place. You'll find it. But parking, on the other hand, that's a little tricky because they've always got like this plan that you got to go a certain way and hit a certain road and a certain street and whatever. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing so much that as soon as I got off the interstate, as soon as I get off of I-35 onto 235, if you've done that, there's that merge lane and you slide over. And if you stop right there and stay in that one lane and do not move from that lane, so you only have to merge into one lane of traffic, that lane will get you at the exact exit that you need where you never have to worry about any other cars. You just stay put. And they were shocked that I knew this and that I was able to get all three buses in one line and we didn't have to weave in and out of traffic. I was planning. I was prepared. Fast forward to earlier this week. We're going up to see Grandma. I told you all I've been a little overwhelmed, right? So that means I was in a little bit of a hurry. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't focused. Didn't really have a plan. So we get off of the 235 exit and I merge into this lane and then I go into this lane and then it's this one and then I'm back in this one and then I'm in that one. And all of a sudden, mom starts reaching up and grabbing the dash and grabbing that um, oh something handle that's up there because all of a sudden, I'm like swerving across three lanes of traffic. She's like, you're gonna miss our exit. All because I wasn't planning. I wasn't prepared and I was overwhelmed. It's often what happens to us when it comes to church attendance. If we aren't planning for it, and if we aren't focusing on it, if we are overwhelmed in our lives and we don't know how to start our week with church, we may just miss it altogether. There may be other things that creep in and then shove us out of church. And yet these guys found themselves in the right place. For us to stop being overwhelmed, we have to choose to be in the right place. And it is a choice. Because if you're in church... You're in the right place. Amen. Look at what Hebrews 10.25 says, and this is out of the New Living Translation. It says, let us not neglecting meeting together, as some people do. Some people are overwhelmed. Some people don't have enough time. And because they don't have enough time, and because they're overwhelmed with life and everything going on in life, they neglect. But instead, what do we do? Encourage one another. Warn one another, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Jesus is coming back, and as it gets closer to the day of his return, we should be encouraging one another. We should be warning one another. What do we warn people about? Be ready, be prepared, make sure you're in the right place so you don't miss it. And then encourage people. Guess what? You've made the right choice. You're in the right place. You're not going to miss it. It's all right. It's okay. That's what we're doing. And so much more as we see that coming up. See, these 10 lepers had a lot going wrong. But the one thing that was right was they were in the right place. If we look at what it says in the very next verse of Luke chapter 17, verse 14, 
So when he saw them, just pause right there. So when he saw them, did you notice what it says? Because they're in the right place, Jesus sees them. Jesus sees them. He sees who they are. He sees where they are. He sees what they've got going on in their lives. And when he sees them, he says to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Now I love this even more because even though they were in the right place, Jesus tells them where to go. Go to church. <laughs> and he's like, go show the priest. They have been cast out of the community. They can't go. They're overwhelmed with life. They're overwhelmed with their physicality. They're overwhelmed relationally. They're overwhelmed financially. They're overwhelmed spiritually. And Jesus is saying, go to church. And as they're walking to church, they're healed. Now I see that. And I'm thinking, that's not the way that I would have done this healing Jesus. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have healed them that way. You know what I would have done? I would have said, hey, Go and gather up everybody that you know or you've ever come across and come back here and let's get a big crowd and let's make this a spectacular, extraordinary, miraculous healing that everybody is able to see so everybody will glorify God because of it. That's the way that I would do it. That's the way that a lot of us want it to happen. We want the extraordinary miracles but what we fail to realize is sometimes God just prefers the ordinary miracles. Ordinary. I mean, I wanted an extraordinary miracle to happen when our marriage was going through a rough patch. And I still call it a miracle, but it wasn't extraordinary. It was ordinary. It was something simple. All I needed was somebody, somebody, to drop a truth bomb on me. You ever had those truth bombs? It's usually coming from loved ones, right? <laughs> They're the ones who are like, you know, I really love you, but you're an idiot. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? Like truth bombs. Sometimes we got to hit it. We got to hear it. And the truth hurts often. I needed a truth bomb. And in that moment, all I needed, Dr. Mark to tell me that I was an idiot. I was being selfish and I was not being like Christ. And so what did he tell me to do? He told me, I, I will never forget this. Every morning when I wake up, go straight to the bathroom, look in the mirror, and kill that man. Because I am to die to self. It is not about me, it is about her. And so what do I do every morning? Wake up, die to self. If I want my life to be smooth, my marriage to be smooth, die to self. And you know what happened like the first few days that I did this? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> she wasn't any nicer to me. We didn't stop fighting. We didn't stop arguing. It didn't happen, but I woke up the next morning, die to self. Woke up the next morning, die to self. Just ordinary practices. And all of a sudden, something miraculous happened. We went from the worst place ever to the best place ever, all because of taking one step after another. One step. I wouldn't have necessarily done it this way. But you know what? 
sometimes God prefers the ordinary. So sometimes in your relationships that are struggling, all God wants you to do is the ordinary thing of just stop being selfish. Put the other person before yourself. Sometimes in our job that is struggling and we're like, I need a miracle in my job because I hate this job. Sometimes all we got to do is the ordinary thing of do your job as though you're doing it unto the Lord. Sometimes our finances are needing a miracle. And sometimes all that means is God is just telling us, hey, remember, if you're not trustworthy with the little, I'm not going to give you a lot. So do good with what you got. Like, this is what happens. But even that, we would look at this story and we'd be like, that's an amazing miracle. The miracle is not the point of this story. It is the response to the miracle that is the point. Continue and look on what it says here, starting in verse 15. It says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan is half Jew, half Gentile. So, verse 17, when Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 that were cleansed? And I'm thinking the exact same thing when I'm reading this. I was like, one returned? Jesus says, but where are the nine? I'm like, amen, Jesus. That's what I was just thinking. Verse 18 were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Ten of them were healed. Ten of them were healed. Only one returns to give thanks. Why? Why? Why was there one that did that? 10% is all that returned. Only one out of the 10 where the other nine are not. Maybe it's because of perspective. Maybe it's because of what they saw. And you've probably noticed this. Like, I don't know how many times this happens. I'll be just driving along. I'm using a lot of driving illustrations because I've put on a whole lot of miles lately. So there's lots of driving. I'll be driving. I'll be like, hey, did you see the turkeys? No, where were the turkeys? Hey, did you see the deer? No, where were the deer? Or vice versa. She's like, oh, there's a deer. Where's the deer? I didn't see the deer. How is it that we're sitting right next to each other, but we don't see the same things? Perspective. One's looking this way. One's looking that way. See, nine of these were seeing that our cries have been heard. But one saw that Jesus heard my cry. Nine of them were saying, we have been healed. One of them saw that Jesus had healed me. Nine of them are saying, we got exactly what we were asking for. And yet one of them is saying, Jesus gave me more than I deserved. Nine of them were saying, our lives have been restored and yet there was one that says, Jesus gave me a new life. It's all about perspective. And if you look, what did this man do? He fell at the feet of Jesus. If we stand at the feet of Jesus, we will see Jesus. Because where you stand determines what you see. Where is your perspective at? 
What are you doing? If you will stand at the feet of the cross, you will see Jesus working through your life. We have to not only choose the right place, we have to choose the right perspective. We have to choose how we are going to see our lives in our circumstance. Start choosing what you see. Start choosing where you're looking at. Start choosing who you're looking at. I don't know if if any of you have ever had both cats and dogs. I've had both cats and dogs. There's a reason I only have dogs now. I like to feel like God, so I like to be worshipped by the dogs. Cats will humble me, and they will try to get me to believe that they are God. And it was like, you're an animal, I'm a human. It's the same thing with both a cat and a dog, but one sees themselves differently than the other. The cat sees me to serve them. The dog sees themselves to serve me. How do we see ourselves? How do we see God? Do we see God as a genie in the bottle that is here just to grant our healings and our wishes and our desires? Or do we see God as who he is, the God of all that is worthy to be worshipped? that is worthy of our devotion, that is worthy of our sacrifice, that is worthy of our love, that is worthy of our service? Do we think he's here to serve us or we're here to serve him? (laughs) Pastor Colleen gave me a truth bomb this week. I needed to hear it. I needed to hear this truth bomb. I'm up there and she has this nurse, which shall remain nameless, but this nurse, and I'm trying to advocate for grandma. I'm trying to stand up for her. She's been complaining about this pain for hours now, and you've done nothing about it. And her grandson's getting frustrated. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to tap into like the vengeful side of God, and I'm wanting that to come out. I'm not remembering that vengeance is his, and it's like, I'm going to let it out. And I'm restraining, and I'm restraining as much as I can, and I didn't. I wasn't mean, I don't think. I wasn't confrontational. I didn't say anything harsh or crude to her. I just made sure that they knew that I understand that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And she needs some grease, so I'm going to squeak a whole lot. I'm going to squeak until you're annoyed and you start giving some grease. We're going to get rid of this. You want to get rid of my squeaking? Do what I'm asking. That was my plan. So the next day, when I get up there, I just happened to be sitting next to her, and I mentioned that I'm so thankful she has a new nurse today. Grandma was quick to remind me that those nurses need my prayers, not my attitude. (laughs) Truth bomb. (laughs) I'm like, yes, Grandma, you're right. And she's like, no, you don't understand their job. You don't understand their life. You don't know how hard they have things. You don't know what's going on in their life, but they do have a life outside of this, and they might have had a bad day. She might have just needed your prayers and not your attitude. Yes, Grandma. (laughs) It was like, truth bomb. See, she was seeing her situation different than I was seeing her situation. I'm seeing her situation as she needs them to help her, but that's not how she sees it. She sees this is an opportunity that I have 
to serve them, to pray for them, to be a witness to them, to testify about God to them. And man, that woman is seizing every opportunity she's got. That's what she's doing. She sees herself as there to serve, not just to be served. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, truth bomb hit. I need to fix my perspective. I need to fix the way I see things. As I'm reading the scripture, I start to realize that her prayer that she's had for a long time is a powerful prayer and it works. Because for a long time, I've heard her pray and ask God, ask God that he would give her the eyes to see as he sees, to give her the ears to hear as he hears, to give her the mind of Christ that she already possesses so that she would think his thoughts and that she would speak his words. And I realize, man, this woman knows the word. Because in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, look at what it says here. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I'm like, oh God, give me your eyes so I can have your perspective. I need to see things the way you see them. I need to hear things the way you hear them. I need to speak the way that you would speak because I need to choose the right perspective just as I've chosen the right place. That's what we need to do. And sometimes it's as simple as just making that choice and asking God to help us. And just as we need to choose the right place and the right perspective, we also have to choose the right priorities. Because when it comes to seeing things the way that God sees, and when it comes to being in the house of the Lord, that's all about priorities. Are we putting Him first, or are we going to put ourselves first? And I know a lot of people will sit there and they'll be like, you know, I would love, I would just love to be in church more if I just had time. I would love to be in God's word more if I just had time. You know, I would love to start tithing if I had more money. And they think that this is a problem with the opportunity or the problem with their time or the problem with their money. We don't have a problem with opportunity. We don't have a problem with time. We don't have a problem with money. We have a problem with priorities. That's what we have. And there's a little truth bomb for you. You have the time for what you choose to have the time for. I know this because I don't miss football games. Why? Because I choose to watch them. I'm not missing wrestling because I choose to watch it. I set my recorder. It keeps track of all of them. You don't have those problems. It's all about your priorities. And look what Joshua 24, 15 says. Look at this one. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether it's the God which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites or in, in whose land you dwell but here's the key, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. What does that mean? 
That means that I start my week at church. And I'm not going to church just so God will love me more. No, I'm going to church because I already love God. I'm starting my day in God's word because I realize that the more time I spend with Christ, the more I become like Christ. I'm also going to start my prayers with thanks. Why? Well, because God says to and Jesus did. And I understand that if I start with giving thanks, all of a sudden the world is not as bad as I think it is. I'm also going to start my pay period with the tithe because I realize that 90% with God is a whole lot better than 100% without him. And so many people think when it comes to the tithe, they think that it's all about what you're getting back. That sometimes if I will just tithe, the prize of the tithe is the provision that he gives. It's not. Sure, that's good, and I can give you lots of stories about how God met all my needs even when I tithed and then above so and beyond and more than I could ever dream for. That's not the prize, though. Because it's not about God filling that gap with more money. It's about filling that gap with himself. The prize is not the provision. The, prov- the prize is the provider. It is the fact that Jesus comes in and fills the hands by which you are giving. And he fills them with himself. We should not be overwhelmed by our circumstances, by the lack of time, the lack of money, the lack of anything. We shouldn't be overwhelmed by our circumstances. Instead, we ought to be overwhelmed by our Savior. And this is not a message I'm preaching about you how to not be overwhelmed. I want you overwhelmed. I just want you overwhelmed with God. I want you so overwhelmed with God that you have the faith of Pastor Colleen that is laying there in a bed and she's like, Josh, fix your attitude. Your job is to pray for them. Your job is to serve them. Your job is to love them, not to complain about them. I want you overwhelmed with God so that you stop looking at a tithe and saying, oh, I got to give up 10%. Instead, you start looking and be like, praise God. I get to make way for more of him. That's what I want you to do. We need to choose to be in the right place. We need to choose to have the right perspective. And we need to choose to have the right priorities. We have to do that. You need to do that. You need to start your week in church. You need to start your day in the word. You need to start your prayers with thanks. You need to start those pay periods given to God. And it's not that God needs it. Trust me, God doesn't need your time. God doesn't need your talent. God doesn't need your treasure. You need to give it to him. It's not the other way around. God already has everything in the world. It all belongs to him. You're the one that needs it because you need more of him. You don't need more money. You need more God. You don't need more time. You need more God. You don't need more understanding. You need more God. You just need more of him. And you need so much of him that you should be overwhelmed with him. See, now I sit there and I think about this and I receive this. And by God, I'm going to do this word. To when another pastor friend calls and says, how are you? I'm overwhelmed. (coughs) Dot, dot, dot by the goodness of God. I want to be overwhelmed by him. And I want you to be overwhelmed by him. So let's do that. Let's choose to be in the right place, to have the right perspective, 
and to have the right priorities so that we can be overwhelmed by God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.